turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Growing up, we used to sing a song about letting our little light shine. And I hope that as Christians, we are still actively doing so. (laughs) One of the songs said, I'll be a witness for him, talking about witnessing for Christ. Join us today as Pastor Rander talks about the man the Bible says was sent from God to pave the way for Christ's earthly ministry in this message, John the Baptist Bears Witness of the Light. He'll be speaking from a number of scriptures, so get pen and paper ready as we begin. Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of God? Blessed be the name of Jesus. We're going to continue in the Gospel of John. We are preaching through chapter 1. And so you open your Bibles, if you'd be so kind enough, or move your technology around to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And there you will find these words. And I want you to listen closely. Because this is a message that we really need to hear from the Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And from these particular verses, we want to preach John the Baptist bears witness of the true light. John the Baptist bears witness of the true light. Now, just who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth, born in the city of Judah when his parents were well advanced in years. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. An angel told Zacharias that his wife Elizabeth will bear a son. His name will be called John, which means gracious. And he will be a Nazarite from his birth. John was born a sinner in need of a savior, just like the rest of humanity. He was, he was not God and neither was he an angel, but rather John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the forerunner and baptizer of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God and Savior of the world. John carried out his divine assignment, which was to bear testimony that Christ is the light of the world and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's ministry culminated in his execution in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11a. It says, John was highly commended by Jesus himself. The scripture says, Surely I say to you, among these born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. What a commendation from Jesus 
hearing him say to the beloved John, well done. In verses 6 through 8, John the Baptist was sent from God to carry out a very special mission. He came on the scene to bear witness of the light who is Christ so that all might believe through Christ. Now, look at verse 8. Verse 8 makes it clear that John was not that light, but rather the forerunner who announced the coming of the Messiah, who is the Lamb of God, born to take away the sin of the world. For the scripture says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John prepared the way for Christ by calling people to acknowledge their sin and their need for salvation. With John's baptism, a person repented of sin and was therefore ready to place their faith in Jesus Christ. His baptism was also a purification ceremony. John told the people to believe in the one coming after him, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. John's baptism had to do with repentance. It was a symbolic representation of changing one's mind and going a new direction. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And how do we need more of that even in God's house, the confessing of sins? Now, being baptized by John demonstrated a recognition of one's own sin a desire for spiritual cleansing and a commitment to follow God's law in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. Long after John the Baptist's death and after even the resurrection of Christ, there were some who were still confused and misinformed being baptized in John's baptism. We said, where is that? In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. My friends, you're not saved unless you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that does the saving. Amen. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said into John's baptism. Verse four. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Jesus Christ. And by the way, if a person believes in Buddha, or Confucian, or Allah, or anybody else, they're not saved by the Spirit because the Spirit doesn't work by your placing your faith in Buddha, uh, uh, Zoroastrianism, or, or any of these other isms around here, Hinduism and stuff. The Holy Spirit only worked the work of salvation in those who trust Jesus Christ alone by grace through faith. Amen. Christian baptism today symbolizes repentance spiritual cleansing, and commitment. Let me say it again. Christian baptism today symbolizes repentance, spiritual cleansing, and commitment. 
Even more importantly, it is a mark of one's identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is the identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is also an outward expression. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality that the new born-again believer is a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrifice and shedding of his blood on the cross completely washes away our sins and we are raised to new life empowered by the Holy Spirit. I love that passage in the in Romans chapter six, verses three and four. It says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism. Baptism, when you go down under the water, is a picture of his burial. And when you come up out of the water, uh, it is a picture of our Lord's resurrection. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What can believers today learn from the ministry of John the Baptist? What can believers today learn from the ministry of John the Baptist? That's some profound truths that we can learn from the ministry. You're, many of you have heard the name John the Baptist, but when have you done a study on this great and remarkable man of God? Allow me now to give you some insights so that you can uh, glean and grow from the ministry and life of the beloved John the Baptist. What can we learn from his ministry? Number one, John knew his divine assignment was a high calling from God. He knew that his his divine assignment was a high calling from God. Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse six in the text, it says John was a man sent from God whose name was there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Whatever God assigns you to do is a special and high calling. In other words, you're not just an usher. You're not just a choir member. You're not. I'm just a greeter. Take the jest off. You're not just a youth worker, culinary worker, media worker, or just a Sunday school teacher, just to name a few. Any assignment that comes from God is a great assignment, is a special assignment, because it is a God assignment. Therefore, whatever you do for Christ, be faithful and give your best effort because you're doing it from God. And we're going to give an account of our service and our attitude as we gave him our service. Witnessing for Christ is an awesome task that belongs to every believer. The question is, are we doing it? Listening today as Pastor Rander continues to encourage us to be effective witnesses by explaining the role a man of unusual dress and diet played in acting as a precursor to Jesus. In this message, John the Baptist bears witness of the light. He'll be teaching from a number of scriptures, so get pen and paper ready as we begin. Number two, what can we learn from this man of God? John did not send himself. He did not send himself. Today, folk are just going into the ministry and they're just getting it for the wrong reasons. But John John did not send himself. He was sent by God. Now, don't overlook that. He was sent by whom? God. The scripture says in the gospel of John, chapter one, verse six, there was a man sent from God. Look at that. 
from God, whose name was John. You had better know that you have been sent and not just went. When you send yourself without being commissioned by God, you are on your own and open to be exploited by Satan. The scripture says John was sent from God. When you know without a doubt you have been called by the Lord to serve in ministry, it is the call of God upon your life that brings comfort and assurance when you go through the challenges of ministry. Ministry is with, is not without its challenges. As a matter of fact, doing ministry today is very, very difficult. We said, why is it so difficult? Because you got to compete with so much to do ministry. You got to deal with half-hearted people, half-hearted commitment, people that have no zeal. You have to deal with people who come to church and have no passion. You have to deal with people who are transient. They're here today and they're down the street at one church another day and another another Sunday they're at another church and then they circle back around to Maranatha. They have the kangaroo faith. They just hop from church to church. And you got to minister to people like that. You have to minister to people who are happy and you got to minister to people who have their face drops and dropped like they got the dropsies and rocks in their jaws. And you still got to love the unlovable. As a matter of fact, they keep you praying and keep you on your knees. You got to you got to minister to people that won't give, but they're takers. They're like spiritual inches. They give me, give me, give me entitlement, entitlement, entitlement. But but they don't. It's not what can they do for the church, but rather what can the church do for them? That's the kind of times we are ministering in. It's a it's a narcissistic society where it's all about me. You know, it's a little checklist, a little goody two shoe checklist. Before I join this church, let me check the nursery. Uh, is there sufficient parking? Can the choir sing? Does the seat have, have cushion? Uh, 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 is there food in the house? Do they do they feed regularly? Yeah, and, and on and on and on and on it goes. But you know what? When you love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength. Listen, if you don't get a cookie, it's OK. You love Jesus. Jesus is greater than a cookie. <laughs> that's right. If you don't get a meal, that's OK. Jesus is the bread of life. Long you feed on him. Do you right know he's enough? Huh? Ministry has his challenges. Sometimes people won't even say thank you. They 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 are passive and uh, they're dormant. Uh, you can plead with them to come to Sunday school, but they won't come. But their child miss Sunday miss uh, public school, a uh, private school, a Christian school. Why weren't you in school on time? And yet they don't ask themselves that question when it comes to their spiritual life at church. How many of you were in Sunday school this morning? Don't raise your hand. We're not trying to show anybody up. And how many of you were on time in Sunday school? Or did you conveniently miss and it didn't even bother you? You just came in and pressed your little hat. You sat down in your little happy self and just said, ah, let's get church on. Don't you know the word of God prepares you for the worship of God? You see, it is the call of God upon your life that brings comfort and assurance through the challenges of ministry, the, the, you, you're dealing with deaths of people, uh, of family members, folk going through crises. Every time an office phone rings, it, it, we're just a crisis away from another phone call. 
People going hardships and marital problems and folk losing jobs and folk confused and runaway children and rebellious children and people on drugs and one thing after another. And somehow you have to ask God to give you the wisdom, the wisdom to make sense as you speak into lives of people who perhaps are even suicidal. Their very lives are hanging in the balance. So you better make sure you have been sent and not just went. Your ministry will be anointed and be more effective when you know without a doubt that you have been sent by God. Two things Satan loves to do with believers. First, he loves to confuse believers at the point of their salvation, which keeps them weak and ineffective. He loves to confuse you at the point of your salvation. Why? Because he knows you remain weak. You, you're operating in uncertainty and you'll be ineffective because you, you, you still haven't, uh, um, received the assurance of your salvation. Secondly, uh, Satan loves to confuse believers at the point of their calling, which makes, and you're not sure you're called to do what you're doing. If there's a sense of, uh, uncertainty about where you're serving uh, in ministry. You know what that makes? That makes for insecurity. You can't get your best effort. It makes for self-doubt and it also makes for lack of confidence in ministry. You won't have confidence in Christ as you serve because you're not even sure that you should be doing what you're doing in the first place. Uh, number three, another thing about this remarkable man of God. Number three, John was a humble servant. Say humble servant. In the Gospels, John's humility is so evident. His, his humility is evident. The scripture says in the Gospel of John, chapter three, verse 30, he must increase. That's Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. But in the church today, it's all people have all about me, a sense of self-importance. But if, if we come into God's house, say, you know what? I must I must decrease. He must increase. Lord, I wanted to be less of me and more of you. You do you realize unity will prevail? The church will go to another level when people get out of God's way. Matthew chapter three, verse 11 B also speaks of his John's humility. It says in Matthew three eleven B, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. In other words, this is a great man of God. This is the man of God who's coming, the likes of which we have not seen. He is great. He is mighty. Here he is. Who, uh, he's mightier than I. You got some saints. So puffed up in pride, they think they're greater than God. But John says, he's mightier than I. Uh, whose sandals I'm not worthy to even carry. I'm not worthy to even carry this man's sandal that has the Palestinian dust and dirt on it. Matthew 3, 13 through 15 speaks of John's humility when it says there, then Jesus went from Galilee to Jordan uh, to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, verse 14. But John tried to talk him out of it. John tried to talk Jesus out of being, talk Jesus out of being baptized by John. And look what he says. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, Jesus. Uh, he said, so why are you coming to me? Look, you're, underline that question. He's asking Jesus, uh, you asking me to baptize you? But but why are you coming to me? 
You know what? I, I believe he was asking that question because John knew who he was. He knew that he was the Messiah, the promised Messiah. John knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He knew that he was uh, he came uh, to die, the just for the unjust. He know he knew that this was God in human flesh. John saw Jesus and looking at him, he saw his own humanity, his own wretchedness, his own sinfulness. Yet here's the Holy One saying, baptize me. This sinner baptizing a sinless one. This ungodly baptizing the godly. He says, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. I wonder what that was like to baptize God. Ooh, if I was if God came here and told me to baptize him, man, I'd pass. I'd think about that. I said, what? Huh? Oh, my goodness. I'm, I don't want to drown him. I don't I want to hold him just right. I'm scared to touch him. I might get struck. You know, baptizing God, baptizing God. But Jesus said it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Why is biblical humility so important in the lives of believers? Why is biblical humility so important in the lives of believers? Biblical humility is necessary because one cannot receive salvation apart from humility. You, you got to humble yourself to even be saved. This means that you you must come to Christ as a sinner. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, you won't recognize your need for a savior. So you have to see your you you have to see yourself as a sinner. In order to cry out for a savior to rescue you out of your condition. One cannot receive salvation apart from humility. This means that we must come to Christ as sinners in humility, acknowledging that we are spiritually bankrupt with nothing to offer Christ, but our sin and our need for salvation. Secondly, one has to die to self. Die to self. Humility. What is it? Humility is meekness. Not weakness, but meekness. Humility is lowliness of mind. You're not so high-minded and haughty and hockey and prideful. Nobody can tell you anything. Humility is considering others better than yourself. Philippians 2, 3 says, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. You are only as effective for Christ as your humility before him. Self-promotion, spiritual pride, and false humility will result in spiritual demotion and divine chastening from God. First Peter 5, 6 also says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Another thing about this remarkable man of God is John was not afraid of people. John was not afraid of people. 
There are some like the Pharisees and Sadducees who came to the Jordan to observe John's baptisms, but who had no desire to step in the water themselves. John rebuked the Sadducees and Pharisees and religious leaders. He rebuked them sternly. The religious leaders were not exempt from needing to repent of their own sins, although they saw no need to do so. Matthew chapter three, verses seven and eight says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to to his baptism, he said to them, look how he was not afraid of them. Bruise of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. My friend, you cannot do effective ministry or reach your potential for Christ being afraid of people or even trying to appease and satisfy them. Did you get that? You cannot do effective ministry or reach your God-given potential for Christ being afraid of people or trying to appease them. It is better to obey God than man. There, there are people who, who will always find something wrong with what you do. Why are you doing that? That's not right. What, what, you, you don't know what you're doing. You remember what you were saved from? What, what you doing here? You got you, people from the outside. You mean you going to church after all that stuff you did? <laughs> well, who in here have not sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? There is none righteous. No, not one. No, not one. You can't be afraid of people and be effective for God. You, you can't be a little scary cat. You can't, be, you can't have the spirit of cowardice. You, you, you can't be afraid of folk faces. They can make some ugly faces. Some folk don't want to grow. Some folk don't want to change. So they'll make you the issue. Thank you for tuning into this program for the Maranatha Bible Church Broadcast Ministry. This broadcast is supported in part by your generous financial contributions, and we invite you to partner with us in spreading this important word throughout our local community and the world. If the Lord spoke to you in this message, let us know. Call us at 210-821-5683. Even better, come and visit us at 7855 East Loop 1604 North, Converse, Texas, 78109, directly across from Randolph Air Force Base. Visit our website at www.maranathasa.org where you will find an archive of audio and video messages. You can also find service times, directions to the church, upcoming events, and much, much more. Tune in tomorrow as Pastor Draper continues to teach us from the Word of God. Thank you for joining us today, and may the Lord's blessings be upon you.